Hey everyone, and welcome to the Messages Podcast of Northview Church. We are so glad you're joining us for today's message. At Northview, we're all about connecting people with God and connecting people with people. We would love for you to come and check us out in person. You can find campus locations and information at northviewchurch.us. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome, Northview. It's good to have all of you here this weekend, this Palm Sunday. Thank you for joining us. We want to give a great big shout out at all of our campuses to our North Putt campus. Could we do that right now? Yeah. We are so proud of you, North Putt, for all that you're doing there and the way that you're reaching out into your community, and we want you to know that's true. Well, see how simple it is to invite somebody to come to church. I mean, oh my goodness, we try to make such a big deal out of it, we try to complicate it, and we get all frustrated and anxious about it, but the thing is, it's really as simple as just saying, would you like to come with me to church? And more times than not, I think you'll be surprised, and even when they turn you down, don't stop asking. There's other times that might be more convenient for them. I am so excited, number one, Easter is our Super Bowl, you know that's true, but guys, we didn't have an in-house Easter last year, so I've had two years going crazy here to get back to our Super Bowl. And so I am really, really excited about Easter this year, and I just hope that you have already thought about who you're gonna invite. I'm excited about the series that I'm gonna do called True North. It's a four-week series. I don't know, I can't remember if I've ever done a series that I started on Easter. I've had several series that I ended on Easter, but I've never had one where I started on Easter, but this was so applicable uh, to where people are at at this particular time of year. And so, you know, we're gonna talk about a deeper, what it really means to go deeper into the life of Jesus and how he impacted and how these stories that we're gonna be talking about over the four week period literally points us back to true north. Now, as you just heard from all of your campus pastors, first of all, the very first service out of the gate will be at the Carmel campus on April the 1st. That's this Thursday night at 6 p.m. So if there's some of you at the other campuses and you're gonna be traveling because of spring break or whatever, this is your opportunity to come before you take off. So I would encourage you to think about that. Uh, Thursday, April the 1st at 6 p.m. And then all the services will begin on Saturday and Sunday and look to your particular campus for what those times are going to be. And as you probably just heard from all of your campus pastors, there's all kinds of resources that we have available to make it easier for you to invite your coworkers, to invite your neighbors, to invite your friends to come and see. And so guys, you also, let me just say, you wanna be on time because there is a powerful opener that happens the minute the service starts, and if you're a little bit late, you're gonna miss that, and I really do believe you'll be disappointed if you miss it. And so please make plans to maybe be here just a few minutes early so that you have a seat, so that you can see this opener. I think it's really, really gonna be good. Also, I wanted to let you know, last year, because we were online, we we did a Good Friday service online. And it went over so well, we said, why don't we just do an online Good Friday service every year? So this Friday at 7 p.m., you can go online. It's not an Easter service. It's different than all of our Easter services. This is a Friday, Good Friday service. And so at 7 p.m., you can go online and you can watch uh, that particular service. The other thing that I wanted to mention to you is, as you know, I'm sure, is that... um, the state is starting to, uh, they're losing some of the protocol for social distancing. And 
<laughs> Let's do a standing ovation. <laughs> oh, seriously, guys. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am ready for that to be, to be over. And because of that, let me just say to the guys in the booth back there, while I've got your attention, on my notes, they've got something coming down the side. Ben, if you could take care of that for me, I'd greatly appreciate it, buddy. So the social uh, distancing protocols are coming down, and so I wanna give you an update as far as face coverings are concerned. And as you know, I think it's important for you to, I, I've stated this all throughout the COVID process, and I just wanna state it again, and that is we'll do anything short of sin to reach those that are far from Christ. If, if you don't understand that, really, you don't understand the heart of God. You don't understand the heart of Northview because we really believe that is our greatest responsibility when it comes to the Great Commission. Jesus said the best way is to love our neighbors. We have a responsibility, we have an obligation to love our neighbors. And through COVID, we've tried to build a bridge to the unchurched. Now some have, uh, some along the way have said, well, you know, if wearing, wearing face coverings is a lack of faith or wearing face coverings is fear. And I would say nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I believe that the whole idea is an act of love. The Apostle Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter nine when he said, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some, even wearing face coverings. And so again, we've done this so that our community knows that we care, so that our community knows that we love them. Now, because they're making adjustments, we're gonna be making adjustments as well. We've already made some adjustments. We've made the, the balcony at the Carmel campus. There's no social distancing there. And so we're gonna slowly be moving, as the state does, we're gonna be moving back to hopefully what we'll get back to uh, normal. But for all of the campuses, the campus pastors will update you on how that's going and what steps we're going to be taking. So let me pray. And I'm gonna jump into this week four of our series on the Great Awakening, the series on revival. Father, thank you, God, for your amazing love. Thank you, God, for Easter, for Resurrection Weekend. And God, we look forward to it with such great anticipation and such excitement on how you're gonna move. I believe, God, that there's gonna be several people, hundreds of people that are gonna step across the line of faith and discover a relationship with you. I pray, dear Lord, that as we reach out to our friends and coworkers and family members and invite them to come, that you'll give them favor and that people will respond and they'll attend one of our services. God, I'm so thankful for the way that you're moving at Northview Church, but I'm also grateful for the way that you're moving in churches all throughout central Indiana that are preaching the good news of Jesus. And so today I wanna to specifically pray for Church at the Crossing. I thank you for that incredible congregation and I pray that you would just continue to bless and use them. I'm thankful for their pastor, James Roberts, and pray that we might link arms together to make a difference throughout central Indiana. And then God, once again, we just wanna pray for the families out in Boulder, Colorado, the 10 families or the 10 people that lost their lives for their families. Again, it just seems to be a regular occurrence it just continues to happen, but we just pray, Lord, that you would be with them. You'd wrap your loving arms around them and that they might sense a peace that passeth all understanding in the midst of this horrific time in their life. 
Thanks, God. We love you and praise you. And now as we get into this final talk on revival, I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts to be able to receive what you want to do in each of our lives. Thank you, God. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So years ago, uh, I was pastoring. As most of you know, I pastored in Missouri. And so this happened years ago and I was, when I was pastoring there. And I got a phone call early one morning and it was from a police officer. And he said that there had been um, a young woman who was locked in her bedroom whose baby had died. And she refused to come out unless she was able to talk with me. And he wanted to know if I would come. Now I knew the couple. Once he told me their names, I knew the couple because they attended our church. When I arrived on the scene, there were first responders everywhere, as you might imagine. There was uh, fire trucks and uh, paramedics and police officers. They were everywhere, lights were going on. And, and just as I opened the door, that police officer met me at my door and he said, um, follow me. And so as we were walking in, he's trying to explain to me what has happened. He said, the mother woke up sometime during the night and she was feeding, breastfeeding her baby and she fell asleep and the baby uh, possibly suffocated. They didn't really know because she wouldn't let them in at this point. I asked where the father was and they said, well, when we, when we rode up on the scene, he came out of the house and he was crying and he took off down the street and he's not returned. We've not, we've not seen him yet. So they lead me into the house and um, I'm going up the stairs. There's two police officers that are following me and there's two paramedics at the top. And as I'm going up the stairs, all of a sudden the grandmother, uh, this girl's mother, um, she comes down and of course she's crying as you might imagine. And she's like, oh, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve. And she met me about halfway on the stairs and she grabbed a hold of me and she said, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad that you came. She said, we just knew that if you came, you could raise this baby from the dead. Well, my first thought is I glanced up at the paramedics who were all ears, and I turned around at the police officers who were all ears, and everybody wanted to know how I was gonna respond to this. And I stood there for a minute, and then I reached out and I hugged the woman, and I said, I'm so, so sorry for your loss. And then I walked on up the stairs. Now, they told me that she was locked in her room, uh, but when I reached for the door, it was open. And so, as I went into the room, the mother was sitting in a rocking chair and she had her baby in her arms. She didn't look up and give me eye contact, she just kept rocking. And so I grabbed another chair and I pulled it beside her and I sat down beside her. And still she didn't talk and so I, I began to uh, talk very quietly to her, softly to her. And um, she didn't respond to anything that I said, um, but she just listened. And finally, after a while, I said to her, can I pray for you? And she nodded yes, and I said, what would you like me to pray for? And she said, please just pray for my husband and me. And so I did. I prayed for the two of them, that God would show his comfort and show his peace in the middle of this storm. And as soon as I was done praying, I, uh, after a few minutes, I said, could I have your baby? And she didn't even look at me, she just turned and put her baby in my arms, that lifeless, cold baby. And as I sat there for a few more minutes and I was still talking to her and I said, are you ready for me to take her? 
And she nodded, and so I got up and I went out to the paramedics and gave them the baby, and then I went back in and sat back down beside her and uh, just talked with her some more very softly. And she mainly just cried and listened, as you might imagine. Well, later that morning after I left the home and was headed back to the church, of course, I, I couldn't help but think about what that grandmother had asked me for, that, they, that I bring that baby back to life. It made me think, as I drove back to the church, it made me think about Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. It begins, it's where God brought, maybe you've heard this story, I've, I've gotta believe that most all of you have. If you haven't, I hope that you'll read the story. It's one of the more popular stories in the Old Testament. But it's where God brought a multitude of dead bodies back together and he breathed the life into them. You remember Ezekiel's vision. It's an amazing story. The nation of Israel had been carried into captivity due to their own foolishness and due to their own sin. But friends, isn't that usually how all of us end up in bondage? Through our own foolishness and through our own sin? I mean, what, if you think about it, what has a hold on your life? Is it a bad relationship? Is it an addiction? Is it your finances? Is it a behavior? Is it an attitude? Is it a bad habit? Because whatever it might be, more times than not, it's because of our own poor choices. The Israelites had been warned for years by the prophet Jeremiah, as well as other prophets, and yet they continued to rebel against God and they continued to do their own thing. And as a result, the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem and took the people into captivity. Well, Jeremiah, Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem to minister to the remnant who had remained there. Daniel and Ezekiel were taken into exile and ministered to the exiled Jews. So we see God speaks to the people in exile and he tells them that he's going to restore them. Let's look at it, Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, for I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. He said, I will give you a new heart. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Listen to me, guys. Some of you have grown cold spiritually. If you're self-aware, if you're honest with yourself, you know that's true. Your heart has grown cold to spiritual things. Your heart has hardened toward the things of God. And God is saying to you, you need revival. You need a spiritual awakening. You're stuck in spiritual captivity. You're stuck in spiritual apathy. Oh, you may not know it, but you're skeptical. If you really are honest with yourself and maybe honest with those that care the most about you, you're skeptical that anything could ever change. In other words, what I'm saying to you guys is that you're very much aware that you're not where you are, that you're not spiritually where you used to be. You're very much aware that you've walked away from your first love. But you're skeptical 
that anything could ever change or that anything could ever really make a difference. You've had so many disappointments, if you were really being honest. You've made so many mistakes. You've experienced one too many setbacks. And now you just can't imagine God could actually revive you or breathe new life into you. But friends, please hear me. God is not limited. Listen to this. God is not limited by what you feel or what you can imagine. God is not limited by what you feel or what you might even imagine. He's not constrained by what you can see with your eyes. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think Paul really expresses it best in Ephesians chapter three when he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. I love this passage. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God's able to do more than you could ever even ask him to do according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Now this is coming, now think about this guys. This was in Ephesians, the church at Ephesus written by Paul. A guy who had seen God do some incredible things, who had seen God do some amazing things, and yet he erupts into this passionate statement that God is a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever begin to ask or we could ever begin to imagine. And so God now is going to show Ezekiel a vision. And in this vision, Ezekiel finds himself in the middle of a valley filled with dry bones. I don't know if you've ever seen any movies on it or, or if you've ever seen anything at all that comes even remotely close. But as far as the eye could see were just nothing but dead dry bones. And these bones, guys, are symbolic of death. A place where there was once life, but now life is gone. And so we look at 37 verse one and it says, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord. So he's having a vision. I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. You alone know the answer to that. Can you, think, can you think of a more dry and desolate and lifeless place than a valley of dry bones where as far as you can see, the, the bones are even cracking. They're so dry. It's like a, a graveyard. It's like a cemetery. There are bones as far as you can see and they are brittle and they are hard. You can tell it's been a long time since there was any life that existed there. And Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. Friends, listen to me. The qualification for ministry is not found in some seminary degree. It's not found in the length of time that we've been a believer or a follower of Christ. The qualification for ministry, hear me, the qualification for ministry is simply the hand of God on your life. You say, well, how does that happen? That starts the moment you invite Jesus Christ into your life. That's it. The hand of God is on your life the very second you step across the line of faith and you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. The scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And once you've invited Christ into your life, then you have to decide if you're gonna be obedient to the Lord or not. 
Then you have to decide, okay, I'm a follower of Christ. I've invited Jesus into my life. Am I going to obey him? Am I going to live for him? Am I going to walk in the spirit? Or am I just going to kind of go back to doing my own thing again? That's what I've done all my life. That's the habits that I'm in. And if you are, if you do make a decision that you're going to be obedient to God, do you recognize God's hand is upon you? Do you recognize that he wants you to walk in the spirit and to be led by the spirit? In fact, the phrase, the hand of the Lord was upon me and the word of the Lord came to me are both used several times throughout the book of Ezekiel. So we know this was a lifestyle for him. And I'm telling you guys, it should be a lifestyle for every believer. It should be a lifestyle for everyone that says Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So what about you? See, nobody really can answer that for you because we we can't tell by looking at one another. So all of us have to be honest enough to confess and to say yes or no. Yes, it's a lifestyle for me or well, you know, kinda or, or, or sometimes. If it's not a lifestyle for you, my friends, what's holding you back from being all in? What's keeping you from being completely committed to him? Because when we walk in the spirit, Listen, when we walk in the spirit, he says that he directs our steps. In Psalms 37, it says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. So oftentimes people will say to me, you know, Steve, I just wanna wanna know the will of God for my life. How do I discover the will of God for my life? It's making a decision you're gonna be obedient to him. And once you're obedient to him, focused on him, then he promises to direct your steps. He delights in every detail of our lives. So guys, I believe, listen, I believe that God is looking for men and women that are willing to be spirit-led. You know, I'm sure at this point, the people of Israel thought their need was to be delivered from captivity. Remember, they've been held in captivity in Babylon, and so I think if you were to ask them back then, they would tell you that their greatest need is to be delivered from captivity. But I think the Lord is trying to show Ezekiel that what they needed was not deliverance from captivity. What they needed was a spiritual awakening. Now, there are two ways that you can look at this vision, and I don't have time to break both, both sides down. But there's actually two ways you can look at, the, look at this vision. One is for those that are lost. In other words, um, those that don't know Christ, they've, they've never discovered Christ, and so you can look at this vision that Ezekiel had, and you can see it as someone that was dead, that God, that had a second birth, okay, that was born again. That's one way that you can look to it. The other is for that need of spiritual awakening. So in other words, the other way to look at this particular vision is that this is something that once had life. These bones once lived before, but now, there's, now they're dead and they need a rebirth, they need a revival. And so I've said to you actually uh, throughout this four week series that it's when we talk about revival, it's the church that needs revival. It's the believer, the Christian that needs revival. Those that don't know Christ need regeneration. Those that don't know Christ, what they need is Jesus. You know, we, we look out over an unchurched world that thinks they know what they need in life, But without God, I'm just telling you, they're hopelessly lost. They are hopelessly lost. They too are like the valley of dead, dried up bones. And what they need is a new birth. 
What they need is Jesus. They need to know that Jesus, we talk about it all the time, they need to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. He's the only thing that can fill the emptiness, that can fill the void in their life. And as believers, we have a responsibility to fulfill the great commission, the great commandment, the last commandment that Jesus gave us before he ascended to go back to heaven to tell others about the gospel message. Remember, the sign of revival, I think I talked about this last week, maybe I've mentioned it a couple weeks, but the sign of revival are people getting saved. Whenever you look through history at the, at the, at the spiritual awakenings that have taken place in America and in, in Europe and around the world, they always were preceded by people coming to Christ, by people discovering a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all a part of a spiritual awakening. So as Ezekiel viewed the Valley of Dry Bones, God asked him a question. He said, Ezekiel, do you think that these bones can live? It's the same question, guys, that I believe God would ask you and he would ask me, do you believe these bones can be reborn? Or do you believe they can come alive again? You see, God always asks questions about our faith. He wants to know if we're gonna trust him. He wants to know if we're gonna believe him. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what about you, church? Do you believe your unchurched coworkers can be saved? Do you believe your unchurched coworkers can be reborn? What about the obnoxious coworker or the rude family member or, or the jerk that lives down the street? Do you believe their life can be transformed? Some of you say, I don't know, Steve. I really don't know. They're just not good people. <laughs> Remember the movie, I'm dating myself just a little bit, but it's, it was one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. It's a, it's a very, very funny film. And there's a scene where the band of heroes, those of you who've seen it, I've seen it several times, but there is a band of heroes that has lost their champion. And they're carrying his lifeless body to a character in the movie by the name of Miracle Max. Remember this? They're carrying him to Miracle Max. Miracle Max is said to be able to do miracles. He's said to be able to do wonders. So they go to him in hopes that he can revive their leader. When they get there, he says, well, let me first ask you a question. Is this person somewhat dead or is he really dead? They ask him, well, what do you mean by somewhat dead? And he says, well, if he's only somewhat dead, then maybe we can do something here. Okay, so what if he's really dead? What do you do then? Oh, you check his body for loose change. <laughs> Listen to me, guys. Sin didn't make us bad. Sin made us dead. And these bones were not somewhat dead, they were really dead. And when you and I see our unchurched friends that don't know Jesus Christ, they are really dead. And again, they don't need revival. What they need is regeneration. But if you see people that need a spiritual awakening, well, those are people that are somewhat dead. And what they need is revival. So Ezekiel responds, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. I think God wanted to remind Ezekiel, and I think that he wants to remind us that what may seem like a hopeless dying community to us is a field full of possibilities for God. 
You know, when I was a teenager, I, I shared this before many times, but when I was a teenager, my dad was far from God. I was a fairly new believer, fairly new Christian, and my mom had come back to the Lord, but my dad was a long way from becoming a Christian. And so people would say all the time, Steve, we're praying for your dad's salvation, and I appreciated that. And I too, honestly, was praying for his salvation, but if I were being really honest, I was doubtful that it would ever happen. And so when it did happen, I've gotta say, I was probably the most surprised individual of all of them that he actually got saved. So regardless of our skepticism or unbelief, the God of immeasurably more is at work in their lives. And when God looks at the desolate places, listen to me guys, when God looks at the desolate places of our communities or the desolate places of our own lives, or the addictions, or the broken relationships, or the job loss, or the health problems, or whatever else people might be struggling with, he asks us the question, do you think these dry bones can live? Do you think you're going through a physical problem? Do you think these dry bones can live? You're going through a marriage problem. Do you think these dry bones can live again? Because again, he wants to know if we're willing to trust him or not. It's kind of like the father, another story in the New Testament, it's kind of like the father asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the father said, oh, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I can so relate to that father. Listen, God is not looking for perfect faith, guys. He is simply asking us to trust him in spite of our doubts. The Bible is clear that through Christ all things are possible. Okay, so God was about to do something immeasurably more than Ezekiel could ever begin to imagine. We look at verse four, and it says, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put, listen to this, I'm gonna put, breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God wants Ezekiel to prophesy. This is a little bit funny. God wants Ezekiel to prophesy or to speak the word of the Lord to these dead dry bones. He's basically, as he looks out over these dead dry bones, he said, I want you to preach the word to them. And he's probably thinking, seriously? You want me to preach to these lifeless, dead bones? I've done it before. Well, that's another topic. Anyway, if, sorry about that. Guys, if you were to walk down the street and you were to see a guy that was preaching or speaking to a skeleton, you would assume that he's not quite all there. And yet that is exactly what God is asking Ezekiel to do. And it's what God is asking you to do and it's what he's asking me to do. While preaching to a bunch of dead bones might seem like a waste of your time, what we cannot forget is the incredible power of the word of God. What we cannot forget is how the Holy Spirit works through us when we're obedient to him. If God can speak, listen guys, if God can speak matter into existence with just a word or make a man out of clay, then it stands to reason that if we speak the word of God, God will use it to infuse new life into what might appear to be dead, what might appear to be hopeless. 
Guys, we have to be people of the word. I do think we underestimate the power of God's word. I do think we, we take it for granted. And that's why, you know, I know I talk about it all the time because of the importance of having a biblical worldview. I talk about it all the time because of the importance of standing on the truth of God's word. How can you stand on the truth of, of God's word if you don't know it? And that's why it's so important as followers of Christ to build scripture reading as a habit in your life. To read it, to understand it, to memorize it, to hold it. Because I'm telling you, when you do that, you will quickly see the word of God is not stale. You'll quickly see that the word of God is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. If we want to see our, listen guys, if we want to see our friends and our coworkers find Christ, I'm just telling you, it really does start. It really does start with the truth of God's word. So as Ezekiel spoke the word over this valley, something amazing began to happen in verse seven. It says, so I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as a complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies. But they still had no breath in them. Their whole, guys, I'm telling you, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. And there was a lot of rattling as the bones started coming together right in front of him. Skulls were connecting to vertebrae, ankles were connecting to the legs as bones are now literally flying from all directions. I mean, literally, they're just moving everywhere right in front of him. And suddenly, Ezekiel is looking at a multitude of skeletons. Then it says, after that, all of a sudden, tendons and skin grew on top of these skeletons, and now there stands thousands of remade bodies. Again, this is all a vision that God has given him. And so now there stands thousands of remade bodies, and yet there's still no life. There was still no life. You know, some churches, listen to me, guys, I'm not trying to be critical, but I am saying that there are some churches that make a whole lot of noise. There are some churches that make a whole lot of commotion, but there's no life. There's absolutely no life. You can, you can have music and you can have multimedia that literally blows everyone away, but there is no substitute for the move of God's Holy Spirit in our services. If there is no move of God's Holy Spirit in our services, then it absolutely is a waste of everyone's time. And that's why I pray, and I've done this my entire ministry, and I'll continue to do it because I believe in the power of prayer and the importance of prayer. But before every service, I did it this afternoon. I'll do it in the morning, and I'll do it every weekend. I go up and down these aisles, and I pray for every row. I go through both balconies. I pray for every row. Because why? Because I desperately want a move of God. I desperately want to see God do something in this place. I ask God all the time for a spirit of salvation. I ask him to open up our spiritual eyes that every person that walks through our doors of one of our venues, whether it's at Carmel or one of our other campuses, when they walk in any one of our venues, they might see Jesus. We're simply wasting our time if there's no move of God's spirit. So Ezekiel, he sees a multitude of remade bodies that looked normal, but there was no life. You know, guys, it's, I want you to hear me on this. It's possible to look normal and yet be spiritually dead. It's possible to look normal and yet be spiritually dead. There is a lot of good people 
And when you have conversations with them, they seem normal, they look normal, they look like everything's good, they look like everything's cool. They might even attend church. And so because they attend church, you make the assumption they must be believers, they must be followers of Christ. And so in your mind, they're Christians. But friends, I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter how much you dress up a corpse. If there's no breath of God's Holy Spirit in their life, they are still dead. If the breath of God's Holy Spirit is not born in their life, then they're still dead. When you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, the breath of God's Holy Spirit came into you. The Holy Spirit came into your life to empower you. And that's what gave us life. If someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not saved. You can come to church every time the doors are open. You can serve as much as you want to serve. You can be a good person. But unless you've stepped across the line of faith and invited Jesus into your life, then the Holy Spirit is not living within you. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And then in John 14, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, let's move to verse 10. He says, so I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath, here it is, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. He says, so I prophesied, and the breath of God came into them. The breath of God came into them and all of a sudden their eyes were open and they start looking. These are these dead bodies, these bones that have now come back to life and taken on skin, taken on flesh. And so they're all now standing there and all of a sudden their eyes open up and they start looking around. And they're finally, not only are they looking around, but finally they're standing up and looking around. Do you remember, for those of you that have kids, do you remember how excited you were when your kids walked for the first time? I mean, you could see it on their face. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you're, 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 you're hoping they don't fall and, and, and you're watching here and, and you're trying to, but you can see it on their face because they're, they're, they're almost saying, are you guys seeing this? Are, are you guys watching this? Are you guys seeing? I just went from a baby to a toddler. I was meant for this. I was meant to walk on my own two feet. That's what's happening in this particular vision. These dry bones are now filled with the breath of God and they're standing on their own two feet. Listen, guys, God wants us as believers to grow up spiritually. He wants us to spiritually walk on our own two feet. It's said that they were a great army. Now an army is empowered with the interest of the kingdom that they serve. An army, I'll say it again, is empowered with the interests of the kingdom they serve. And whether you know it or not, if you're a believer, God wants us to be a part of an army, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. Listen, Christians, have you dried up spiritually? Are you part of the valley of dry bones? Have you walked away from your first love? Are you apathetic or indifferent about spiritual things? I'm just telling you, God wants to breathe life back into you. God wants to breathe life back into you, just as he did in this vision. And once you do, he wants you to be a part of his army, of his kingdom, sent out to do what? 
Well, it's very clear. Jesus made it clear when he told us before he went back to the Father in Matthew chapter 28. And he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Because again, wherever there is a move of God, people are getting saved. And that's when we begin to see revival take place. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, guys, I'm just telling you, I can't bring a baby back to life. But I can speak the word of God and see the spirit of the Lord infuse life into that which appears to be dead. Friends, that's what he's called all of us to do. To take this life-changing message of Jesus Christ to the world. But in order for that to happen, in order for that to happen, we need our spiritual eyes to be open once again. We need to make a commitment to be all in. Back in the 1940s in England, Professor Orr was a gentleman that taught theology there and he took his students on a field trip to see the spiritual sights, if you will, of England. And one of the places he took his students was Epworth Rectory, which was home, and maybe, maybe some of you have been there, maybe some of you have heard about it, but it was the home of the great revivalist and founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. Now in the early 1900s, and if you were here week one, I talked some about this, but in the early 1900s, revival swept through America. It also swept through England. And there were thousands of people during this time that were being saved, thousands of people that were coming to Christ. Why? Because I'm telling you, men like John Wesley and others were consistently on their knees praying for a move of God, consistently praying for revival. So Professor Orr, he takes his students into this home and he's talking about uh, John Wesley. And as he takes them in, he, he, takes them first, he takes them first to the kitchen and he describes for them, and you see the kitchen is still set up there and he says, this is where John Wesley fixed his meals and took his meals right here and they talked about a little while. They moved on into his study where he still had some of the books that, were, that he had read and prepared sermons were behind him. And he said, this is where some of the great sermons of John Wesley were written right here at this desk using some of these very books. And so then he takes them upstairs. It was a two, it's a two-story two uh, place. And so he takes them upstairs to John Wesley's bedroom. And he says, this is where John Wesley slept. And one of the students noticed that there were two uh, worn patches in the carpeting right by the bed. And he said to him, what are those worn spots? And Professor Orr said, that is where John Wesley's knees would hit the floor. And he would literally spend several hours a day just praying for revival. Well, it kind of blew them all away and you could feel almost a presence of God as they talked about that. It was time to go, and so Professor Orr said, well, we need to go to the next spot, so if you guys would just go jump back on the bus. And so they did, and, and so Professor Orr went out to the bus, and he realized that he was missing uh, one of the students. And so he said, I'll be right back. I'm gonna go find him. And so he goes in, looks in the kitchen. He's not there. The study's not there. And so he goes back up 
the stairs and before he walks into the bedroom, he can hear a voice and he hears a student praying. And as he looks around the door, he sees that student kneeling with his knees, both in those worn spots. And he's crying out, do it again, Lord. Would you do it again? And God, would you do it in me? And he just keeps crying that out. Tears flowing down his face, he just keeps crying out that prayer. Well, the professor quietly walks up to him and puts his hand on his shoulder and he says to the student, I'm sorry, son, but it's time to leave. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham joined the other students on that bus. God did it again in him. Guys, I just wonder, I just wonder if we would be bold enough to pray that kind of prayer. If you and I would be bold enough to say, oh God, do it again, do it again, please God, do it in me. If you would be willing to do that, and that's a prayer you'd be willing to pray because that really is your heart's desire, I'd ask you to stand up with me right now. Just to stand up with me right now and we'll pray that prayer. I'm gonna turn this over to the campus pastors right now so that they can pray that prayer with you. But what I'm gonna ask you to do, guys, is just simply hold your palms up. And regardless of the words that I pray, I would encourage this to be your own personal prayer and to be a prayer from your heart. Pray with me, Father, we just humbly come before you, God, and we just ask you to forgive us all of the sins in our life. We ask you to forgive us for our pride and our self-righteousness, God. We ask you to forgive us for our greed and for our selfishness. God, we ask you to forgive us for our own selfish ambitions, to forgive us for our own prayerlessness and our critical spirits, that you'd forgive us for neglecting our relationship with you. God, would you help us to turn away from the things that have so entrapped us and hardened our hearts. And God, I ask that you would birth in us a hunger for more of you, to give us a thirst for righteousness and help us to have the passion to pursue you above anything else. God, would you help us to have a longing to know you in the way Paul knew you and the way he prayed in Philippians 3 that I might know you in the power of your resurrection. Daily remind us, God, that we are no longer our own, that God, we have been bought with a price and help us, God, to be totally surrendered to you and to your purposes and to your plans. Help us to always have our spiritual antennas up listening for your instructions and your promptings in our life and may we learn to be obedient to your still small voice and may we never, ever stray from your loving arms. Thank you, God. Thank you for your patience with us. And would you once again restore or renew in us the joy of our salvation. Today, Lord, I pray that you would empty us of all of our own self-centeredness and fill us with your spirit. And God, once again, we pray, Lord, do it again. Would you do it again in me? Thank you, God. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Thanks again for joining us on this week's podcast. If you have any questions or would like to speak with a pastor, please connect with us on our website or through social media. You can also find a Northview location to visit in person by going online to northviewchurch.us and then selecting the locations page. We're so glad you joined us today and we hope you have a great week.